Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. What a welcome, everybody. Please take a seat. And do we have a great show for you today on the VIP Jazzwell Report. The report that asks insightful questions and gets revealing answers. Before I introduce my guest, let me ask you this. Do you think our next generation have the same values that we did growing up? Do they have the same aspirations? And do they view life in the same perspective as we do? Our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Arnett, who has some answers to our questions and concerns. Jeff is a research professor in the Department of Psychology at Clark University and has extensively done research on the young people of today between the ages of 18 to 29. He refers to them as the emerging adulthood. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, Vip. Glad to be here. Well, Jeff, this is a very interesting topic today because many in our generation seem to have trouble understanding our adult children. Also, they have a lot of concerns about their future. So let me begin by sharing my point of view. I totally get the fact that every generation has certain differences from the previous one. But I think the differences between our generation and the next are very significant in almost every way. You know, simple qualities like motivation, ambition, respect for elders, being selfless, even having a defined sense of purpose in life, all seem to be lost in this new generation. And I know I'm not alone in thinking this way. I understand certain areas of differences exist, but some values and principles should stand the test of time. However, in this generation, they seem to be disappearing. So let me start by asking you, it seems these emerging adults are taking so much longer to grow up than previous generations. Why is that the case? Well, part of it is economic, Vip. Certainly, uh, most of us are aware that in the last 50 years, we've moved from a mainly manufacturing economy mm-hmm. to an economy based more on information and technology and services. And in that new economy, it takes longer to prepare yourself for it. So now you have more people getting more education for longer into their 20s than ever before, and that postpones everything else. But it's also a values change. I think you're right about that. And specifically, the value of adulthood. I think 50 years ago, adulthood was an honored and even coveted status among the young. At least I presume that from how quickly they entered it. The median marriage age was much younger then, around 20 for women and 23 for men. And now it's much higher. Now young people, they have much more mixed feelings about adulthood. It's not that they never want to reach adulthood, but most of them want to use most of their 20s to do other things, to have the freedom that comes with being an independent young person, because adulthood doesn't look like much fun to them. And they also want to make the most of their youthful freedom while it lasts. Well, you know, you came up with the term emerging adults. I prefer to use the term the excuse emerging adults because there's always an excuse that's going to emerge for everything they can't do. I mean, you mentioned new economy. A new economy has new opportunities. But, you know, they blame the economy, the environment, their family. In fact, everyone and everything but themselves. And I don't think we ever did that as much. So what's going on here? Well, I don't find that, that they're blaming other people. I mean, they certainly are coming of age at a difficult time economically. The fact that we've been through this horrendous recession in the last five years and unemployment peaked at 10% overall. At that time, it was 20% for them. And even now, when it's down to 7.5% overall, it's about 16% of them for them. So it's not just their imagination that times are difficult and it's challenging to enter the labor market. But I find them striving very hard to make the best of it. They take what they can get. A lot of them do low-wage jobs as they look for something better. And a lot of them take internships that pay little or nothing 
while they're trying to get the credentials and the experience that will enable them to get a better job. But, you know, talking about the future, it could be just me, but I see the young adults as not necessarily having a sense of urgency of their future. They seem to be very comfortable in their present state. You know, I know people whose kids have been provided with comfortable homes and cars. Some even get an allowance. They've had their college fees paid for, but they still come out of college unemployed. And there seems to be no aspiration that I can detect that they want to climb the ladder of life. You know, they want they want things very quick. They want an elevator to the penthouse. Uh, the frequent concern I hear from parents are that the young adults are out of touch with reality. Are they being unrealistic? Well, some of the times they are. I think they do go into the job market aiming high. They hope to find a job that's not just a way to make a living, but something that will be satisfying and personally fulfilling. And that's not necessarily what the workplace has to offer. So I think you're on target about that. But I also think that they really are striving, for the most part, in their 20s to make an adult life for themselves. Even though, as I said, they have some mixed feelings about adulthood. And they realize, I think wisely, that your 20s is the time where you do have the freedom to make independent decisions that you didn't have when you were younger and that you won't have either once you take on adult commitments like marriage and parenthood. So that's the time where you could go someplace different to live, another part of the country or another part of the world, maybe just to have fun, maybe as part of a, a work service project. That's the one time you can really do that because you have relatively few commitments. Well, if they, you said you know they're not that keen on embracing adulthood. Is that because maybe that we could be at fault that we've provided them with too much too soon? Some of them, certainly. I think for the more more affluent, if they've been given a lot, it does tend to sap one's motivation. But most of them are not in that category. Again, they realize that the 20s is a crucial time of life for making an adult life for themselves. And they are intent on doing that, uh, especially by the time they get to their late 20s and they, they feel 30 looming. Most of them really want to have a more or less settled life by the time they get to age 30. But I do think, Vip, I think you're on target with being concerned about them, the ones who are spoiled by their parents and maybe given too much. Again, it's a minority of them, but that can sap their motivation. And parents who see that happening to their kids might be well advised to adopt some tough love and set some deadlines and make some requirements for them in order to get further financial support. Is there a fear of embracing responsibility? I think there's ambivalence about it, definitely. I mean, on the one hand, they like having more responsibility for their lives than they did when they were younger. They like being able to make their own decisions about where to live, how late to stay out, where to go on vacations. So they like freedom. Like that. They, like, they like that kind of responsibility. But responsibility for others, they again, they, it's not that they never want to get married and, and have children and make a commitment to a long-term career, but they realize, again, quite wisely, that those things are constricting. And so most of them want to wait until at least their late 20s and maybe their early 30s before they take on what will be lifelong responsibilities. So they want to lengthen the process of being as carefree as possible for as long as possible. Well, at least through most of their 20s. I find that by the end of their 20s, most of them have had about enough of it. They have had their adventures if they're going to have them. They have tried 
different occupational paths and different love partners, and they get sick of the instability, that's when they really start to look for someone to commit themselves to and for a longer-term work path. Well, there also seems to be a significant difference in attitude. We were taught to be very respectful to our parents and elders, uh, but I sense a lack of respect for their elders in the new generation. We were brought up with words like honor, loyalty, and respect as a backbone to our methodology, but, you know, these kids use them as a punchline. I remember when my parents would struggle, we would feel very concerned and help out. But in today's world, if there's a problem in the house, this generation purposely disassociates themselves from that. They seem to be happy to share the good times, but they, you know, they disappear when the going gets rough. Why is that? Well, you know, Vip, I've studied both adolescents and emerging adults, and I think what you're saying is more true for adolescents. So 10 to 18-year-olds, let's mm-hmm. say. And other research has found this, too, that they generally are rather egocentric and they don't like to be called upon to help around the house and do chores and contribute to the daily running of the household. But emerging adults, these 18 to 29-year-olds, they are different. And I've found this from studying them over 20 years now and now interviewing their parents as well for my book uh, with Elizabeth Fischel. We found that both the parents and the emerging adults talk about how much better the emerging adults are by the time they get into their 20s at contributing to the responsibilities of the household if they're still living at home. And just at treating their parents more respectfully and and more generously than they did as teens because they really see their parents more as, as persons and even as friends by the time they get into their 20s. Well, you know, we were brought up to be selfless, but I find the emerging adults to be self-centered, not selfish, but self-centered. It's all about me, myself, and I. Is that true? Well, I think there's some truth to that. I've called emerging adulthood the self-focused age, among other things. And like you, I don't see it as selfish, but it is self-oriented. When you're in your 20s and you don't yet have responsibility for anyone else, especially a marriage partner and children, it does allow you to do what you want when you want, for the most part. And they do really enjoy that freedom. But I don't think that means they're selfish. Actually, if you look at, for example, rates of volunteering, they are higher among this generation than ever before. And they've gone up steadily over the last 20 years. And I think that speaks to how altruistic they are and how intent they are on trying to do some good in the world. But could that aspect be because maybe it's more difficult to get a job? Um, They're trying to, you know, build up their resume. Uh, It's more self-serving than community serving. There's some of that, definitely, but I wouldn't attribute it at all to that. And I, I don't think that's entirely fair to them. They really want to do some good in the world. And I've seen this again and again in interviewing them. And, for example, groups like Teach for America. Teach for America takes about 25,000 people at a time, and they get 10 times that many applicants. It's remarkable how many young people want to give a year or two of their lives to serve as a teacher in a rough urban school. That's what Teach for America involves. And and that's not for resume building. It's for having the experience of doing some good in the world and really being on the front lines of trying to improve the conditions of life in their own country. Well, you know, one of the other factors that distinctly define us and them is technology. And technology is now obviously a part of life. Um, it, It seems to me that they 
seem to have developed the attention span of a lightning bolt. Um, you know, if I ask my son a question, he just starts to Google. Um, I don't need personally, I don't need Google. I asked my wife and she's told me that she knows everything. But it's just that, you know, when you try and correct them, they say, no, I'm multitasking. Now, are we as a generation being brainwashed into believing that everything we find fault with is actually not a fault but a talent? You know, I mean, how many times have families sat down at mealtimes and even with these grown-up adults, they have a spoon in one hand and their iPhone in the other? Mm -hmm. Well, I think some concern is definitely merited. I mean, technology is second nature to them. In a way, it isn't to us, VIP. It's been described by uh, one researcher, Mark Prensky, as a difference between digital natives that they are and digital immigrants that we are. They feel comfortable with a lot of the new technology in a way that to many of us still seems foreign. But that has both good and bad aspects. I mean, I think on the one hand, it does allow them to be in contact with a lot of friends and family throughout the day. It keeps them from feeling lonely. Uh, at a time of life that can be very lonely, when you, especially if you've left home and you're on your own, maybe living in a new city or you've just gone off to college, it's really helpful to have contact very easily through technology with the people you love. But I, I do share your concern about the attention span. I think definitely there is this tendency to have divided attention all day long and the difficulty of focusing on just one thing and turning off the uh, computer and turning off the music and turning off the phone so you can get some deeper cognitive work done. I think there are many of them who find that really difficult to do. And I've interviewed them about this, and they often say, well, I I study better if I have music on, or I study better if I have the TV on, or both. And I'm sure they believe that, but all the research says it's really unlikely that most people are going to study and learn much much less effectively if they have media stimulation while they're doing it. But you see, it's affecting their social skill set. It's affecting their social etiquette. Even within a family environment, there's a social etiquette. So if you're all sitting down for dinner or you're having a conversation, um, every, say, 20 seconds, they're looking at the phone. Has someone tweeted me? Has there been a post on Facebook? It, it's affecting the etiquette. Well, I agree, and I consider that rude. I think a lot of people in our generation do. They are less likely to consider it rude. But I do think, you know, parents at the family dinner table, especially, I think, which for most families is, is a very special time and maybe the one time of the day where they really get to sit down together. I think parents, even when their kids are living home in their 20s or coming home to visit, should have a rule that no technology during dinner. It's perfectly reasonable to have that rule, even if you have grown kids, because otherwise it is impossible to have a conversation. And I think if you make that clear and do it in a reasonable way and not an angry way, most grown kids will respect that. I would add, too, Vip, that a lot of adults our age are guilty of this, too, as you know. I mean, I see this all the time in public. Grown people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s sitting together, supposedly at dinner at a restaurant, and each of them is looking at their phone. I think it's some, something all of us need to remind ourselves of, that this is this is not good social etiquette. And just because the technolo- technology is there doesn't mean you have to use it constantly. But in your observations and interaction with the generation, the next generation, um, if they're going out for a date or they're going out for a meal, um, 
whether it's two or four or six, do they do they object to the, the technology interrupting their social interaction? I don't see them objecting to this. And I've watched this pretty closely. I tend to watch this when I'm in public spaces, especially if I'm on the road, as I am quite frequently, and in a restaurant where I'm eating by myself. I'm watching the young people especially and their interactions. And there is this tendency for technology to be there. And they each sort of check in and check out, depending on whether the technology uh, is flashing or not. And I think that's unwise. I think it does make it difficult to have a, a linear conversation. And I think it'd be better if everybody in that situation would t turn off their devices. But to, again, to them, they're the digital natives. To them, that is second nature, to have it right there and to have that be part of the conversation. Well, let's talk about their sense of purpose. You know, this generation is taking longer to settle down, uh, and that's going to have an impact on every aspect of society. In our generation, we pretty much left home in our 20s. Now this generation will probably leave in their 30s or late 20s. Um, that means parents have to continue working that many more years to sustain themselves and the grown-up kids. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I mean when there's no sense of urgency. So let me ask you this. What do the parents think about the kids taking so long to grow up? Well, for the most part, parents are remarkably patient, I find. As long as the kid has what we call in our book a plan with a capital P. Mm -hmm. So some kind of idea about what you want your look, life to look like five years from now, ten years from now, and a step-by-step -step plan for getting there. As long as kids have that and they're working their way toward it, parents are generally willing to support them emotionally and financially through most of their 20s as the kids move toward their goals and, and pursue their purposes. But I think you're on target. The, the ones to worry about are the ones who don't seem to have a purpose and who seem to be drifting because they when they're asked the question, what do you want to do with your life, they don't have an answer. And they struggle with it, and they ask themselves, what do I want to do? And they can't seem to find anything that they're good at that they can also make a living at. Those are the ones that I really worry about. But they're the, they're the exception, fortunately. Most kids do have their plan with a capital P in their 20s, and they're working hard toward it. Remember, Vip, that they're the ones who are working in the crummy jobs in our society that pay minimum wage or, in the case of internships, even less as they try to get the experience and the credentials that will move them towards something better. Well, some cultures value the joint family or the extended family living situations. Do you think America is moving in this direction, especially with the economic pinch? Well, I don't think most families are. Definitely among immigrant families, especially the ones from Asia or South America or Africa, there is a real comfort with intergenerational living, and kids get to be uh, in emerging adulthood, their late teens, their early 20s, and parents are perfectly happy to have them be at home as long as they want. But for most families, the kids and their parents want the kids to be independent by the time they get in their 20s. And the kids want to be too, Vip. You know, I found in this Clark poll that I did, national survey of 18 to 29-year-olds, three-quarters of them said they would prefer to live on their own 
separately from their parents, even if it means living at a lower standard of living. So even if they don't eat so well and don't live so well and uh, have to do all their own tedious household tasks, they generally prefer to live on their own so that they can have the freedom that goes along with that. Do you think it's a sign of failure, Jeff, for both parties, parents and the kids, if they're going to be staying at home and waiting for their dreams to materialize? I don't think so, Vip. I think it's a mistake to look at it that way. It's just the modern reality. It's an economic reality, first of all. As I said, their unemployment rate is consistently twice as high as the overall rate. And so a lot of them, either they're not making anything because they're unemployed, or they're making not enough to live on. And I don't think there's any shame, anything shameful about that. It's the economic reality we all live with. As long as they're striving to find something and striving to make something out of their lives, I don't think anybody should feel bad about it. In fact, Vip, I've found that both parents and emerging adults are surprisingly positive about the situation where the grown kid in, in his or her 20s has moved back home. I thought that I would find that parents were generally groaning about it because they want to move on with their own lives. And there's some truth to that, but most of them are far happier about it than than you might think. They really enjoy that as a time to get close to their kids and get to know them as adults before they move on and don't come back anymore. Well, you you believe in the economy as being one of the main factors in, in why they are staying at home. So in today's job market, do you think parents should pull strings for their emerging adult kids? Or is that being too imposing? I think it's fine to give them advice and to give them connections. If they're looking for a job in a field that you have some connections in, I don't see anything wrong with parents saying, look, I know this person who might need somebody to do a job. Why don't you give him or her a call? I think that's a nice thing for parents to be able to do for their kids. I think where you have to draw the line is making the call yourself because I think that places the kid in too childish a position. They are adult enough by the time they're in their 20s to do that on their own, and they have to do it on their own in order to be considered serious by an employer. But, you know, in, in, in all fairness, I mean, this generation is not the only generation that have been through a recession. You and me have seen two recessions in the 80s, right. one in the 90s, uh, and one a few years ago. So we seem to have managed fine. They seem to be making a bigger deal out of it. They'll manage fine, too, in the long run, Vip. I really think so. But I think it's important to remember, as you just pointed out, it's always tough to be young in terms of entering the labor market. You always start at the bottom. You're always the last to be hired and the first to be fired. And you always get paid the least. And that's the reality for anybody who's entering the labor market. Yes, it's tougher during a recession. But even when economic times are good, they're tougher for the young than for people who are in uh, more stable adulthood. Well, let's talk about their values now. In your findings, does religion and faith, what role does that play in their life? It's a fascinating topic. It's something that's been a real interest of mine in my books and in my research. They are very thoughtful about it, and this is true whether they're well-educated or not. I've found that everybody has something to say about religious questions, and often very insightful and uh, showing that they really have thought about these questions a lot. But they are, as a generation, strikingly 
unreligious in any conventional way. So they are by far the more likely, compared to their parents or grandparents, to say that they don't go to religious services, church or synagogue or anything else, uh, and they have no interest in going. And they don't believe in the value of organized religion, and they don't want to be part of it. They may have their own, they usually do have their own individualized belief in God, but they don't feel any need to go to an institutional setting to express that. So they do believe in God as a higher power, they just don't believe that you need to go to the house of God to pray to God. That's right. They don't believe in a theology generally. And they don't believe in organized expression of religious beliefs. They don't think that you have to go collectively with other people on Sunday morning or Saturday evening or whatever it is and chant the same creed and so on in order to be religious, in order, in order to have a, a belief in God and, and have reached conclusions about religious questions. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, what about their attitude towards relationships and sexuality? What what emerged from your findings? Well, one thing that I think is very interesting is how high their expectations are for the person that they will ultimately find to marry. So I do think that... So they're looking for the perfect job, and they're looking for the perfect partner. Exactly. So just like they're looking for a job that's more than just a job, that's going to be actually self-fulfilling and enjoyable, (laughs) they're looking for a marriage partner that's more than a marriage partner. They're looking for a marriage partner that's a soulmate, not just somebody to divide the tasks of daily life with and to share child-raising with, but somebody who will be uh, an ideal complement with yourself. And, of course, that's one of the reasons it takes so long to find a marriage partner these days is that they go through a lot of relationships usually in their 20s trying to find that soulmate who they believe will fit them just right. I think it's a worrisome expectation for marriage because as all of us who have been married for a long time know, it's something that requires a lot of acceptance of each other in all your imperfections, warts and all. And I think especially when young children come along, that can really blindside young couples because the sort of intimacy you can have as a young couple without children gets a real shock when you have young children to take care of and and diapers to change and noses to wipe and waking up in the middle of the night and all that. That's a challenge to every marriage, and it's one I don't think they're very prepared for. Well, Jeff, isn't then, doesn't this all boil down to don't they suffer from exceedingly high internal turmoil. And and I'm saying that because they seem to have great ambitions in terms of getting a perfect job and a perfect partner. Uh, Could it be that it's an unrealistic expectation? And also, you know, with technology, having that um, desire for immediate gratification. So nothing's happening quickly. Yeah, it is worrisome in a way that they expect so much out of life. And it's bound to mean some adjustments as they get into their late 20s and 30s. But I've found that most of them adjust to that pretty well. I mean, they start out by aiming for the moon. And, of course, nobody really gets the moon Mm -hmm. after all. But I've interviewed people through their late 20s, and I've found that by their late 20s, they're saying to themselves, well, you know, I didn't get the job I wanted, or I don't have the job I want yet, but it's good enough for now, and I'll 
accept that and I'll hope for maybe getting something better in the long run. And they may have not have found their soulmate, but by their late 20s, most of them do find a marriage partner and commit themselves to a marriage they hope will last for life. So I think they do grow up. I think they learn that you don't necessarily get what you dream of and what you aim for, but you can still have a good, satisfying life anyway. Well, in all of this, I have one key question, because in the next 10 years, 10 to 15 years, they're going to be taking over the world. So what will the world look like when they take over? That's a great question, Vip. Well, one thing that I think is really striking about them is how much more liberal they are on various topics than their elders are. So, for example, gay marriage, they're a lot more accepting of that than uh, their elders are. Uh, interracial marriage, interethnic relationships seem like no big deal to them. But when you say accepting and no big deal, is that because they don't care? Uh, they have no sense of sort of, because it's not related to me, so I don't really care? No, I think it's because, first of all, they're individualists, and so they believe people should be able to make these choices on their own without being censured by others. Okay. And religion's the same way. I mean, they don't believe that one religion is better than another. Even if they hold a religious uh, creed themselves, they don't believe that one is necessarily better than uh, than than another. So they're individualists and they're internationalists. They tend to think in global terms. And so they believe that people in different places have different ways of looking at things and they're all basically equally respectable because that's just the way it is. There's a lot of diversity in the world and you have to be tolerant of, of people's different ways of looking at things. So I think political liberalism is definitely part of it. Remember, they're the group that by far voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012. The older you got into the age span, the less likely people were likely to vote for Obama in both of those elections. And it's really the young people that carried him more than any other age group. So that's one thing. They, th th At least now they're politically liberal. They, that may change as they get older, but it tends to be durable, uh, depending on what your views are when you're young. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that they're remarkably socially responsible, Vip. You know, there's a lot of talk, as you were reflecting at the beginning of the show, of America being on the decline and young people especially being on a de decline. But interestingly enough, if you look at a lot of different kinds of behavior across the board, they look better than young people did 20 years ago. So things like uh, substance use, alcohol use, binge drinking, uh, various kinds of other drug use have gone down substantially in the last 20 years. Crime has plummeted uh, to about half its rate as it, that it was 20 years ago. Uh, teen motherhood is down by about half. And um, even automobile accidents are, are substantially down from what they used to be, and partly because uh, young people are less likely to drink and drive than they were 20 years ago. So in terms of all those sort of objective measures, you might say, of how they turn out and how they're doing in their teens and 20s, they look remarkably good. In fact, they look better than people did 20 years ago. 
Well, you know, going back to, well, that's good news. Um, I'm finally getting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But going back to things like religion, and you mentioned that they don't um, necessarily need to go to a house of worship to pray. Can there be a correlation between their desire to be free and evade responsibility? Because, you know, going to house of worship on whichever day you choose, once a week or twice a week or whatever it is, adds to the responsibilities you have in your daily life. So is there this need that whatever I can get away with, I will? Well, that's a really interesting question, Vip. And I understand what you're saying because Mm. religious organizations, one of the things they do is really bring you out of yourself and make you more conscious of the community and give you an opportunity to serve the community in various ways. And I think that's a great thing about religious organizations historically as well as today. But young people today, even though they're not involved in religion very much, they still do have the desire to improve the world. And and their rates of volunteering actually are higher than they were for their parents' generation and have gone up. That's another thing that's happened over the last 20 years is rates of volunteering have gone up substantially. So they, they find a way to serve. They find a way to express their but that's, ideals but that's and their because to make the world better, even though it's not in a religious context for most of them. But that's because also the requirements when you apply for a job has changed. Before it used to be just about the grades. Now it's what do you do outside of your academic success. Right. I think there's some of that, especially for high school students applying to college. Mm -hmm. That's become a requirement, more or less, of a college application to about some kind of volunteering you did in high school. So that much I think is true. But I don't think it's only that. You know, to go back to to the example I mentioned earlier, this remarkable number of young people applying for Teach for America, 10 times as many as Teach for America can handle. I don't think they're looking for job opportunities. I don't think they're looking for something to be on their resume. I really think they want to serve. They want to do some good in the world and improve the conditions of life for people who had less uh, fewer advantages than they did. So I think we need to give them credit for that and not just reduce it to resume building. Okay. I'll give them that. Now okay. I need some more good news. Tell us about your surprise findings uh, from your research. Well, there are several things, Vip, that I have been surprised about, both in my original research with emerging adults over the last 20 years and more recently with their parents. Uh, First of all, it's remarkable how close parents and emerging adults are. They regard each other as friends. They generally really enjoy each other's company, and they like to be together. They're good companions for each other, more so than you would think. Even when the kids move home, as I was saying earlier, you would think that that would be a time of tension and conflict, and sometimes it is. And sometimes parents have mixed feelings about it. But by and large, they're remarkably positive. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that almost everybody struggles in their 20s. Yes, there are really important social class differences. And getting a college degree is hugely important today, more important than ever, and really divides 
uh, people between the college educated and the not college educated. But pretty much everybody struggles, even the college educated. They got out of college and they struggle to find meaningful work in the same way that people who didn't go are still looking for meaningful work throughout their 20s. So there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety uh, in the 20s over what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to find something satisfying that goes across social classes. And finally, VIP, I think maybe the most remarkable thing at all of all is even though they do struggle. And even though today is a tough time to be young in terms of going into the labor market and finding a job, almost all of them are optimistic. So in this national survey I mentioned earlier, nine out of 10 of them agreed with the statement, I am confident that eventually I will get what I want out of life. Nine out of 10. And in a way, that's a little worrisome because nine out of ten of them are not going to get what they want out of life. I can guarantee you that. But on the other hand, after listening to them for 20 years talk in this way, I've come to see it as a psychological resource. It's what helps them get up again when they get knocked down in their 20s, as almost all of them eventually do. And their parents are optimistic for them, too, interestingly enough. The parents, like the kids, think the kids will have a better life than the parents did. So what was the purpose of the research? Well, I originally started interviewing young people in their 20s just because nobody had ever done it. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for something new to do and wanted to find out something new. And I was just beyond that age period myself. I thought the 20s were a fascinating decade of life in my own life. And I thought I'd learn more about what everybody else found. Um, So that was my main motivation going into it. But I came to see it as this new life stage of emerging adulthood that had developed now between adolescence and young adulthood. Now, your book is called When Will My Grown-Up Kid Grow Up? That's my my latest book, yes, with Elizabeth Fischel, my co-author. What two points can the readers get from your book? Well... There's a lot of information on it. We have chapters on work, on college, on relationships with parents, on love relationships. I'd say one key thing is that parents have to adjust their expectations to the reality that it does take longer to grow up today than it used to. And so I think parents, when they first had kids and they're thinking about the plan of their own lives, they thought, many of them thought that by the time their kids were 18 or 20 or at least 22 or 23, they wouldn't be in the parental role any longer, at least not not on a daily basis and not all the time, that they would be able to move on with their own lives. But it turns out today because there's now emerging adulthood between adolescence and young adulthood, and because it takes longer to grow up than it used to, parents do have to be on duty often through a lot of their kids' 20s, both emotionally and financially. And I think if parents realize that's a distinct possibility, even when their kids are younger, they won't be blindsided by it and dismayed when their 25-year-old kid has to move home or their 23-year-old kid uh, has just lost his or her job and and needs needs some cash to, to live on, to pay the rent that month, that month. I think if parents realize that the 20s are this unstable, rather chaotic and dramatic period of emerging adulthood, it will help them know what to expect when their kids go, th- go through that life stage. 
The other thing that I would say, and, and this I think should be encouraging, encouraging to parents, is that it is just a life stage. I mean, they don't want to remain kids forever, and they won't, except the ones who have some kind of severe disability. They do grow up. Right. And by around age 30, almost all of them have built something like the stable structure of, a, of an adult life and have stopped asking their parents for money. <laughs> and where can we get the book? Well, a lot of different places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Workman.com. Workman is my publisher. And, of course, all good bookstores. That's how you tell if it's a good bookstore, if they have my book. (laughs) Well, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome, Dip. It was my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jeff Arnett, the research professor of psychology and the poll director of the Clark University based in Worcester, Massachusetts, known for its liberal arts-based research on emerging adults and the parents of emerging adults. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Jaswell Report or tweet me if you dare at VIP Jaswell on t- Twitter. Thank you for listening and keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jazzwell Report coming soon.